Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. It's time to roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty with Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. This is week. We've got something of a rarity. We're actually going to be talking about some wins for the environment. I'm John Langer, and this is Dirt Radio. We're sponsored by Friends of the Earth, and you can check us out at foe.org.au. In March this year, Victoria became the first state in Australia to declare a permanent ban on fracking and onshore gas extraction. This ban was the result of a huge mobilization of communities right across the state, especially communities in regional and rural areas. To celebrate this long and hard-fought win, Friends of the Earth is holding a special fundraising celebration, and that's happening next Monday, the 8th of May at 6.30, Loop Project Space and Bar, 23 Myers Place, Melbourne. And there's going to be a screening of a documentary film about another long and hard-fought win, The Bentley Blockade. The film's called The Bentley Effect, and it's about a community in northern New South Wales that took a stand to protect their precious resources and livelihood to fight against the money and the power of politicians and the fossil fuel industry. And after the film, there's going to be a panel discussion and a Q&A session with activists and gas campaigners from across the country. One of those campaigners is Kudra Ricketts, and for she was on the front line at the Bentley Blockade for many months. And she's going to be part of the panel discussion next Monday. And I was able to speak to her yesterday about her involvement in the blockade. What I want to do to start with is just give us a little bit of a refresher, a memory refresher, and a bit of a brief history of the Bentley blockade. Um, the Bentley blockade was a huge blockade that happened in northern New South Wales, in Bentley, just outside the town of Lismore. Um, and so that's a really strong community in terms of you know wanting to lock the gate and shutting out CSG. Um, and so the blockade happened in 2014 from about like February until May. And it just brought together the community in such an amazing way. You know, you had, you had hippies and you had farmers and you had longtime activists and you had people who had never done any kind of activism before. You had like young people and kids and you had older people, you had indigenous elders. You just had the entire community coming together against this issue, which was, you know, threatening all of us. And this was a, a plan to do extraction of coal seam gas. Is that right? Most of the farmers in Bentley pretty much all of them, I think, except the one, um, were anti-coal seam gas and would not, were not happy to have it on their land. Then there was one farmer who was decided, oh, no, I don't have a problem with CSG. And so he, let, he, told them, he gave them permission, basically, to do some like, experimenting and looking for coal seam gas on his site. And so we had another farmer who was on our, you know, on our side, you know, anti-CSG, and we all had a big camp on his, which was Camp Liberty. And we had that on his property, and then it was just like a two-minute walk up to the next guy's property, and that's where we blocked off his gate and had the blockade. So there was three different gates onto his property that we, like, blocked up. 
So just to give us a little sense, I'm, I'm just trying to get a picture of this because I wasn't there myself. So there were three gates that were basically entrances to his property, and you were block literally physically blockading those gates. Yep, yep. So we blocked up all of them. Um, and then, yeah, we had Camp Liberty, which was really good because the police, because it was on private property of someone who was wanted us to be there, the police couldn't just come in and raid our camp. And so you could have the protesters and the people that were locked on all at the gates. But then the camp where we had food and we had portaloos and, you know, had all the there's tents and art spaces and kids spaces and all that kind of stuff was separate and, like, away from where the police could access. So it was just, like, really beautifully organized. It was It was incredible. The Bentley blockade was has been described as the defining battle in the fight against the CSG industry, and there, as you've just said, there's been huge. There was huge community support, huge mobilization. I wanted to ask, what were some of the strategies that were used to make this happen? And for example, one of the things I've read about is something which is called the social consensus strategy. I think one of the best things was just having, like, it was just so community organized. So whatever anyone could contribute, they contributed. And while there are a few people, you know, that were kind of help, like leaders kind of thing and were helping to make sure everything was organized and you know, help everyone out if they had any questions, a lot, of, a lot of it was just people contributing whatever they had to offer. You know, we had, like, spaces where you could run workshops and people would just come and write down what they had to offer in a time and people could come along. And we had, um, I think one of the really useful things was we had, like, a phone tree kind of thing. And so when there was a you know a crucial time when we needed everyone to be there you know if we if we had some police coming or something we could just send out a text in an instant and i remember one of those had 3000 people show up just from that like we had we just we just had such a brilliant network and everyone was just so connected and everyone was so into it that you know at the drop of a hat we could have heaps of people show up another really beautiful thing was having um dawn ceremonies so we had like greet the dawn every morning and then like key you know, key mornings, we'd have, like, well, like more specials, we'd have more people. But every morning we'd greet the dawn at the blockade because generally that's the time when the police, if they were going to roll in, they would roll in at dawn, you know, like come in early in the morning and try and get us all out. So having everyone greet the dawn with us every morning was really beautiful because it just meant we had a huge group of people there every single morning. Everyone came together and it was really beautiful. We all sang songs and it completely congested the road, which is crazy like it's a tiny country road and it never gets congested and you'd, you'd like pass over this hill and you just look out and you just see like a sea of cars and the campsite out in front of you and it was just like absolutely incredible like everyone just yeah i think it was just the power of the community can you reflect on things like you mentioned uh sending text messages was social media extremely important in in mobilizing i think it was really important yeah because it meant that yeah everyone was combined everyone had like like everyone locked their community kind of thing. And so the different communities say, you know, Liz Moore said, oh, they did a vote and went, oh, we're 87% gas field free. And then some other communities had like 90%, 90, 98%, things like that. And like Nimbin in the Shannon and all of these different communities like um, voted and then declared their, their community gas field free. And so that meant that they had little networks in, within all their communities and like generally groups and things within those communities that it could be really shared quite widely. And I think we had we had the knitting nanas as well, who were like really really amazing. They were so useful, and they had they were great on social media and everything. But yeah, I think social media did play a large role, and you know the print media as well in our town were really on board. You know the film is made by Brenton, who was like so so integral in creating like 
videos and media and stuff to share out during the blockade. Just uh, to pick up what you're saying, you felt the local media there were on your side. It wasn't It wasn't a matter of uh, them being hostile towards you. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, there was, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, I, I ended up making friends with a lot of the people that do the local media because I'd meet them out at Bentley, you know. We had the mayor out at Bentley. We had all of the MDs out at Bentley, like you know, all of our local ones. You know, everyone came out to Bentley. It was like you couldn't really say that you supported the community or on the community side and then not support Bentley because it really was just the whole community. I, I wanted to continue our discussion and talk a little bit more about uh, the community support. One of the things, I guess, that, you know, you do a lot of things before you get to the point where you're blockading. You you go to meetings, you go to rallies, you have speeches, you write letters. And then, of course, there's nonviolent direct action. When do you think the community decided to transition from one thing to the other? Because as you said earlier, a lot of the people that were involved in this were not necessarily people who were familiar or comfortable with that kind of campaigning using nonviolent direct action. There is quite a large activist community who I think helped to like kickstart the action and knew how to like talk about it and promote it to the community in a way that people could see, you know, it wasn't like protest isn't a big scary thing or anything. It's nonviolent and doing lots of trainings and things before it even started about that kind of thing. Yeah, it definitely started quite small. Like I remember going out there with my dad for the first time ever and it was tiny. There was there was a little camp kitchen kind of thing and like a few tents and cars and not very many people out there, you know, I think it was mainly like, you know, ten people or so sitting around a fire and then you know, it just, I just watched it snowball from there. So, like, you know, I was commuting there from school, and so were heaps of people, like, commuting to work from the blockade. There was just, like, a huge tent city. I don't think there was a point where the community, like, decided. I think everyone just slowly jumped on the bandwagon so that it moved from, like, a quite a small, you know, blockade to, you know, mm. a movement, you know, a really huge movement. And you, you've mentioned uh, you were at school. Does that mean you were in, you were in high school at the time, were you? Yeah, yeah, I was in year 11 at the time. Okay, and you were moving from, you were going from school right to the blockade. Yep, yep, I'd, um, I'd, I was on my L's at the time, so I'd get, I'd get my hours up, I'd drive from the blockade to school, and then I'd generally drive back to school to the blockade again, and I think I was home about two nights a week, usually during the blockade. So you're getting lots of driving practice as well. Yeah. <laughs> But it was really beautiful being there, you know, like it was it was really sad even when, you know, the blockade was over and we all celebrated, it was wonderful. But afterwards, it was, you know, it, I'd gotten this huge family who I'd been seeing every day and now I wasn't seeing them all the time anymore. But it means that, you know, I walk down the street in my town and I'll see people who I was with at Bentley and it was just like, oh, and we'll give each other a hug. And it was just like, it's just so magical. Right. So so there actually has a has been a a build-up and a development of the community association after the blockade as well, which is very interesting. Is, it, is that the what you're yes. describing? Well, um, Lock the Gate is a really awesome organization. So Lock the Gate, we started with the, you know, Lock Your Community and, you know, the voting on, you know, 87%, 92%, gas bill free, what I was talking about before. Mm. We started with that kind of thing. We had a giant rally, and that was all before the blockade. Um, and then, yeah, afterwards, Lock the Gate is still definitely a part of the community because, you know, we're still going to have people staying aware like i don't think that they're going to be stupid enough to try and come back anytime soon but if they do we've got to you know show them we're going to be ready ready to take them on and luckily it's awesome there was a huge floods in lismore recently i'm not sure if you heard yes, about that yes but the levee broke and the town lots of the businesses got ruined and i think lock the gate actually 
donated quite a lot of money mm. to the flood cause. Look, uh, just something to you mentioned something you were you were in high school at the time. I, again, I might be getting off the track a bit, but how did the students around you uh, respond to you being so involved in this? Were they receptive, or or did they were they feeling uh, a bit you know why is she doing this? I don't know. There was there was a few students who didn't understand or didn't really care about it and didn't really pay attention. That's always the way with you know high school students. They've got a lot on their minds, but. There was definitely a lot of students who were really keen. You know, I had an environment team at school and they'd all go out to Bentley. I held like a teen day one day at Bentley and they had, you know, teens come and get to know the blockade and stuff. And yeah, I had lots of friends come out. And so it wasn't just me, you know, there was lots of young people commuting. And I had a lot of friends that I, you know, younger friends that I made just at the blockade who went to local schools and did the same thing. So I think, yeah, there was definitely like we had Girls Against Gas, which had lots of young ladies in it and that was awesome and they were all really involved and we have, whenever we had a protest we've got these awesome outfits with like capes and suits with like girls against gas written on them in a big banner and we all go and like we wear masks and run around and try and get you know psych everyone up and and look i just just finally you're going to be part of the q a session after the screening of the film bentley blockade what are you hoping people will be asking when they have that q a session Maybe just like about what they can do in their own communities to lock out coal seam gas. But I don't know. I think in Victoria we're doing pretty well. You know, we've got the the ban on it, so we're doing all right. I don't know. Whatever anyone's interested in. <laughs> uh, okay, so the main thing is for people to get along and uh, and see the film and have a chat afterwards. Yeah, definitely. I'm so excited. I haven't seen the film yet because I was traveling when it got released back home. And then I moved to Melbourne, so I am so excited. And I've talked to like all of my friends back home who have seen it have been like, it's so good, you need to see it. So I think I'm definitely going to be shedding some tears. Um, <laughs> so I reckon, yeah, I strongly encourage anyone who's an activist to see it because I feel like it's really important to get to see those victories sometimes, you know. As activists, you see so many, like, you lose so many battles and you see the government ignoring us when we're trying to take action on things. So it's really beautiful sometimes, I think, to see everyone unite and to see, you know, the power of the people. Thank you very much for your time today, Kudra, and all the best with your studies and also with your campaigning. No problem. Thank you so much. Thank you for talking to me. And that was Kudra Ricketts. She was a campaigner at the Bentley Blockade, as you heard, and she's going to be taking part in a Q&A at a special screening of a film, a documentary called The Bentley Blockade, and that's being held by Friends of the Earth to celebrate Victoria becoming the first state in Australia to declare to declare a permanent ban on fracking and onshore gas extraction. And if you're interested, it's on at the Loop Project Space and Bar, 23 Myers Place. It's next Monday at 8, uh, the 8th of May, and um, it's on at 6.30. We'll put those details up on our website and um, also uh, check out the faux website as well. And uh, this is Dirt Radio. I'm John Langer. This is David Rovix and you are tuned to 3CR 855 AM Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change.
3CR has all kinds of music programs for you to hear. From blues to hip-hop, reggae, classical, punk, jazz, soul, indigenous, experimental, indie, metal and other music styles. Check out 3cr.org.au on the World Wide Web for more info. You're back with Dirt Radio. And last week, Westpac Bank released their long-anticipated climate change policy. That policy states that the bank is not going to be investing in any new coal mines. This means that the bank no longer is considering putting money into the Adani coal mine in the Galilee Basin. Well, it's another win for the environment, but not without a long, hard fight and the sustained campaign, a very sustained campaign. Rob Foster works with 350.org, one of the many environment groups working on the Stop Adani campaign, and he's here with us in Dirt Radio this morning. Good morning, Rob. Good morning, John. Good to be here. Thank you for being here. And uh, look, there's a big, there was a big win, and but not without a huge campaign for you. Was there any key moment that you thought had the most impact in terms of the getting Westpac to come on board and say no more investment in coal? Well, it's interesting because we didn't expect them to come out as soon as they did. We had a week of action planned for um, about 10 days away to put a lot more pressure on Westpac. I think there are about 90 events organised for that week of action to put a lot more pressure on them to make that decision. And they came out last week early, sort of unexpectedly, um, and made this decision, this change in their policy. I think we can only sort of guess or have theories about what factors caused it. There was uh, an action in Sydney two weeks ago at their 200th birthday um, where some uh, protesters from a number of groups turned up and just let Westpac employees and the general public know what was going on, and it was quite a public event. They even got inside the celebration as well, and I think it put a bit of pressure on the Westpac executives to to do something so there's a fair bit of media coverage as well i presume yeah so there was that as sort of as a one-off but then over time the pressure has been building on westpac and maybe they were aware of what was coming up um in the near future with this week of action something that uh, came out after this decision was made it was public announced um, and you're probably aware of this minister uh, of resources matt canavan accused westpac of being as it were un-australian as they all do and um there, there's obviously a huge political investment in in this project. How does a campaign like yours and other other environment campaigns address this level of determination in the political cl- class? I think in the end we're taking a more pragmatic angle on this. Um, so a lot of people, especially in Queensland, are quite invested in this project going ahead, uh, whether it's for political reasons or for their own gain. But standing back and looking at the bigger picture from a pragmatic viewpoint It's not good for Queensland, for their economy. It's not good for Australia in terms of our health and our environment. It's really morally it doesn't stack up. So I think if you take that wider pragmatic approach and really push on that, that's where we're coming from. And you're assuming that people people obviously have uh, can understand those kinds of arguments. Yeah, I think the polls recently showed two-thirds of people are against the mine going ahead of the Australian population, and I think it was nearly three-quarters of people don't want that loan from the government being given to the mine, to Adani. 
So the public is on our side. Okay, that's that's really encouraging, actually. Look, the other thing, I, something I, when I was reading around this for our interview today, it's not just Westpac. Apparently, Commonwealth Bank is also involved very heavily in, perhaps not Adani, but in on fossil fuels, and that's another area that that you're thinking about. Yeah, so I got involved initially with 350 back in 2013, 2014, and back then it was a it was a wider campaign trying to get people to divest from banks generally that invested in fossil fuels. And the big four, Westpac, Combank, ANZ and National Australia Bank, all had big investments in fossil fuels. And the idea was to get people to try and take their money and their loans away from those banks. Um, Not a lot has changed since then um, in terms of their total investments in fossil fuels. All the big four are still quite heavily invested. Right. So people can still take action on that by sending a letter to their bank if they're with the big four and saying, you know, how they feel about it. And maybe they're considering moving their accounts to another bank that doesn't invest in fossil fuels. Now, just to go back to the Stop Adani campaign, it's been said that uh, the Stop Adani campaign is Australia's next Australian Franklin Dam. Is that is that the way you're seeing it? Yeah, I think it is a bit of a line in the sand that we're drawing. So the Franklin Dam was a, a very big a massive campaign at the time and it lasted it went for a long period and drew in a lot of the population got a lot of media coverage and in the end that they won um, i think the stakes with this campaign with the stop Adani campaign are actually higher because i think climate change I, I refer to it as the main game in terms of environmental challenges and problems climate change it's the main game and we can't burn a lot more carbon if we want to stay under two degrees or one and a half degrees and keep what we call a safe a safe environment. So projects like this just they just can't go ahead. That carbon has to stay in the ground. The other <clears throat> the other thing I, I think, uh, and and this is where we're really coming to, West Metpacks made the decision. It's still it's still very powerful in the discourse of politics. Adani, the mine is going to go ahead. Turnbull went to India. What what happens next? Um. From 350's point of view and with the Stop Adani Alliance, I think they're right now figuring that out because, as I mentioned earlier, Westpac unexpectedly came out and, and pulled back from the project. And so we've got to shift our strategy a bit now and say, well, what, what do we do next? From 350's point of view, we probably won't focus on that government loan because there's 13 organisations in the Stop Adani Alliance and some of the other organisations, they're, they're focusing on that loan. So we probably won't go to that we'll pick something else. But at the end of the day, we're in essence, we're just trying to stop the money. We're trying to stop the money going to this project so it can't get finance. Because if it can't get finance, it can't go ahead. So some of these other organisations, we should give them a bit of credit too, because I I know Market Force has been very heavily involved in it. Who are some of the other groups? I think Greenpeace. Yep, Greenpeace are in there. AYCC, which is Australian Youth Climate Coalition. Yes. Um, Sunrise Project. Yes. Look, I guess the thing that, Look, I'm speaking very personally here now. There is so much opposition to this. I, I, I can't understand why, why or how it's possible for the political class to keep pushing this. I mean, I know there's a huge lobby behind it, but how is it possible? I'll be honest, I don't understand the mechanics of that either. I'm a bit baffled by it, like yourself. I think the population is against the mine. It's really not in the interest of the country or Queensland in so many ways. And so I don't understand how it keeps the momentum 
to go. And it is something to do with the what's happening in the political section. There's a lobbying and an energy going on that's able to drive it. I don't fully understand the mechanics of that, but I just, we just have to push back against that. Yes. And look, I just in, in, again, you were, you were referring to the economics of it. I, I saw something on, on the news the other day that somebody's in Sydney has um, built a bakery, the whole bakery. The, I don't know if you saw that story. No. It's being powered by solar power, solar energy. This guy, and he's, he, you know, he's a business person. He's basically saying, look, there's, there's huge, huge amount of interest. In, and, and pe- there, in fact, he, I think what he was saying was there, there were more investors than, than the possibilities of developing this, these capacities. This is where I don't I don't get it. But look, I, I really appreciate your 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 point of view, and and I'm I'm very pleased about the decision. As you said, yep. they came out early, so they must be feeling the feeling the heat. Yep. Yeah, so it's great look, news. Yeah, look, thanks so much for being with us, and I know I know it was a bit of a rush, but uh, glad you could make it. And let's catch up again. Yeah, thanks for having me on. That'd no, be great. No problem. I've been talking with um, Rob Foster, and he works with Three Fifty. Org. And as you heard, he's been working on the Stop Adani campaign, and they've got plans for the future for sure. And let me just uh, refresh you with the um, the um, celebration video coming up. The uh, It's not a video, it's a film. Uh, it's the Bentley Effect, and it's being held next Monday, the May the 8th. It's at the Loop Project Space and Bar 22. 23 Myers Place in Melbourne. It's next Monday, May the 8th. Check out it if you can. And uh, it'll be details on our website and also on the FO website as well. We have been Dirt Radio and we'll be back next week.